Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa. And I'm Ken. And in this, our fifth season of How to Choose, we're looking at eight characteristics of good decision makers. Now, in this episode, we're exploring the trait of being knowledge hungry in decision making. Now, Tess, is there a standard definition of this? Look, there are lots of potential definitions, but fundamentally, it's about learning. The desire to approach novel and challenging ideas and experiences in order to increase one's knowledge and change one's mind. Yes, then this podcast is probably a really great place to be to encourage this tendency. Most definitely. Now, Ken, do you remember in season one, we played Guess Who in the episode on adaptable decision making? Yes, I do remember that. I remember feeling rather exposed with with that particular question. Look, not having uh, extensive pop culture knowledge is is not a character fault by any by any stretch, Ken. So I wouldn't worry too much. Um, now I'm not going to give away the answer, but if you haven't listened, go and check it out and see if you can beat Ken on this particular one. But today we're going to do another guess who, all about a very knowledge hungry person. Are you already curious about who it could be? Yes, I am. Okay, so when you think you know who it is, feel free to buzz in. All right. From the moment he wakes up, this person has his nose in a newspaper. In fact, he estimates that he spends around 80% of his day reading and particularly loves biographies. He said, you can't get enough of reading, which I do personally agree with. Yes. He sees the accumulation <laughs> he sees the accumulation of knowledge like compounding interest. Mm. The more you learn, the more you know, and the more you're able to build upon what you already know. His reading habit also significantly influences his decision-making process. His reading cultivates a comprehensive understanding of macroeconomic trends and market dynamics, which aids him in discerning the timing and value of potential investments. His knowledge-hungry approach to the world is really the key to his success. Another quote, I read and think, so I do more reading and thinking and make fewer impulse decisions than most people in business. Now, despite being a billionaire, he's lived in the same Omaha house since 1958 that he originally bought for $31,500. He's also known for his very bad diet, drinking multiple Cokes a day, which he bought about a billion dollars in stock in decades ago, and often eating McDonald's for breakfast. Who am I? Yes, I can see him now. It's Warren Buffett. And I remember, oh, I should check. Is it Warren Buffett? Yeah, correct. Ding, ding. (laughs) Before I launch into some sort of story. Yeah, I remember hearing about how he used to lay out money the night before for a, a couple of different McDonald's breakfast options. And depending on how well his stocks were going, he would have the uh, larger McDonald's breakfast option, um, which I just thought was hilarious for a guy who's mm-hmm. funny. Fascinating. So funny. Yeah, he would spring for maybe hash browns or pancakes every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> I came across another really great illustrative story about him. A man and his wife, who was a dentist, were heading into a local Omaha chamber meeting. And as they got out of their car, they noticed him pulling into the parking lot, driving himself, of course, and the couple slowed down and waited for him to catch up with them for the walk into the meeting. So they talked as they walk, and he asked each of them what they did for a living. After both answered, he then focused in on the dentist. He started asking question after question about the costs associated with the dentist industry, 
margins on materials, what a dentist chair in an office earned yearly, and so on. And he just kept engaged with the dentist all the way into the event. And then when the meeting was over, he was waiting at the exit to speak with her again. Uh, you know, he had another set of questions regarding insurance payments, additional things about the, the industry more generally. He genuinely wanted to know more about the dental industry. And this was his chance to pick the brain of someone running a mid-sized practice. Yeah, it, it, that is quite an appetite for fairly obscure knowledge too, isn't it? it it's fascinating. He's clearly a, an unusual person, um, dare I say it. I'm sure he's probably listening. Don't be offended, Warren. <laughs> uh, given his appetite for knowledge, he, he possibly is. But it's just so interesting to think that he identified an opportunity there and just grabbed it with both hands. He was just genuinely interested to know more about what it is to be a dentist. Exactly. And how often do we let those opportunities pass us by? There are so many people out there who can enrich us, which we just, you know, we would never ask that follow-up question, would we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, this concept is really closely related to episode one of this season on curiosity. In that, we talk about listening to understand. And I think when you're knowledge hungry, it goes one step further. It's listening to learn, connect and change. Yeah, I really like that definition. Can you? I think you should just say it again because it's quite profound. So being knowledge hungry is listening to learn, connect and change. Mm. Now, the book Think Again by Adam Grant is also about changing your mind, which is really key to being knowledge hungry because there's no point in learning lots only to dismiss all the information because you've already formed your opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really about deliberately seeking out information with an open mind, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, being open mind is really key. Otherwise, that knowledge is just being wasted. You know, you might be good on a game show at some point in the future, but it's not actually informing your decisions if you're not willing to change your mind. Now, Grant says something interesting too. He says, when we think, talk, and interact with others, we often fall into one of four mindsets. So let's go through those now. The first one is preacher. When our values or beliefs are at stake, we can find ourselves giving sermons to defend and promote our ideas. The second is prosecutor, and that's when we see flaws in other people's thinking. We use arguments to try and prove them wrong and to win the argument. The third state is that of politician. When we want to win someone over, we focus on winning approval at the expense of all else. And the fourth one is scientist. And listen to this. This is quite interesting. It says, the scientist is when we accept how little we know. We form hypotheses, which will ring, which will sound familiar for anyone who remembers back to high school science. We form hypotheses, we run experiments, and then we consistently rethink our understanding of the world and others based on the new knowledge that we have. And this correlates with the scout mindset uh, that we talked about a lot in a previous season. Uh, and Julia Galef has come up with that term and, and advocates very strongly for it in the book of the same name. It's a great read. And I've, I've just finished going through it uh, in a book club with a group of people that I work with. So really encourage people to look that up. Yeah, I would recommend it too, for sure. Now, Ken, obviously there is a time and a place for each of these mindsets. And sometimes we do need to be preacher, prosecutor or politician, but it really shouldn't be our default state. What we want to try to cultivate in ourselves is being the scientist. 
being constantly knowledge hungry and using that new knowledge to evolve our thinking. And something that can undermine being in the scientist mindset is having very strong core beliefs or when we tie our identity to ideas. Because when a new idea challenges one of our core beliefs, we then have the tendency to ignore it or sometimes even aggressively resist it. And when we are young, we're constantly updating our beliefs, values and identity. But we do tend to become a bit more dogmatic as we age. You get to a point where you think you've absorbed all the information you need on a topic and you've made up your mind. But the truth is we can never have all the information on a topic and circumstances change. Yeah, absolutely. And to use an Australian political analogy, I guess it's a bit like being a staunch Labor or Liberal or Green supporter and voting for that party, even when their policies start to deviate from your policy preferences or values. So you might have made your choice. Uh, at a point in the past, but even though circumstances have changed, you're sticking with that that choice. Mm, yeah, you're not updating based on that new information. Yeah. Um, and these strong beliefs can actually colour how we interpret the world. There's a study by Yale law professor Dan Kahan who asked 1,100 participants about their political views, and then he also asked a series of questions designed to gauge their numeracy. Participants were asked to solve a fairly difficult problem that involved interpreting the results of a fake scientific study. And while the data remained the same, sometimes the study was described as measuring the effectiveness of a new cream for treating skin rashes. But in other cases, the study was described as involving the effectiveness of a law banning private citizens from carrying concealed handguns in public, a much more contentious issue in the US. And people perform wildly differently depending on whether they've been told that involved guns or skin cream. Their politics affected their interpretation of the data. And even more depressingly, the highly numerate liberals and conservatives were even more susceptible to letting politics skew their reasoning than those with less mathematical ability. Wow. So that's really bizarre, isn't it? So essentially people were people's political views impacted their ability to perform calculations accurately. It makes you wonder what's happening in our brains, doesn't it, that causes that effect? Oh, my goodness. We're, we're so fallible. Our brains cannot be trusted. Yeah. You know, and this is, this is a heuristic at work. It's our brain taking an inaccurate shortcut. Uh, and for more on heuristics and how they affect us, check out Season 3 because we do lots of dives on, on some of these different shortcuts that our brains use. Yeah. So, all right, so we know that being knowledge-hungry is important, but what do the benefits say in the workplace? There are so many. You know, in business, it's really part of the fail-fast theory. The failing-fast approach encourages you to test your ideas early and often, like a scientist testing a hypothesis, and by taking this approach, you can quickly identify and address any issues, saving valuable time, money, and resources. Whereas if you aren't going about this with the scientist hat on, seeking out knowledge and data, you might have to learn the hard way by failing slowly after lots of time and money have already been invested. Yeah. So there's lots of great examples of knowledge-hungry leaders who make better decisions because of their willingness to change their mind with new information, aren't there? Oh, for sure. And two that jumped to mind are Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who saw that e-readers might threaten his flourishing physical book business So rather than ignoring all this new information and data that threatened his business model, he leaned into it. Uh, 
And this is in stark contrast to the story of BlackBerry creator and CEO Mike Lazaridis, who basically had his head in the sand when it came to evolving his smartphone. Blackberries went from having 50% of the smartphone market in the US to shutting down as of 2022. He just wasn't willing to absorb any of the new information about what people wanted, like an internet browser, instant messaging, and a touchscreen. Yeah, I remember the decline of BlackBerry very well. In 2017, when I was living in Ottawa, the Canadian Federal Public Service was still issuing BlackBerries to employees, despite the fact that there were almost no apps that you could install on the phone. So it was actually really hard to use. Anyway, back to the topic. So how do we then foster those kind of knowledge-hungry workplaces or homes? Mm. Adam Grant says that an organisation with a culture of learning requires at least two things, psychological safety and accountability. Now, psychological safety is about creating an environment of trust, respect and openness where people are able to raise concerns and ideas without having to worry about getting penalised. Whereas accountability is about ensuring that in the process of designing experiments or creating something, People have gone through a process that allows for a good chance of making the best decision. And this can't be just based on outcomes or results because outcomes are difficult to determine and sometimes a result of luck. Yeah, that's very true. And I think we're going to unpack that a little more in a future episode in this season. So we'll have to persevere uh, to get to that one. That's a little hint which episode that's going to come up in. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to cultivating it personally, I would say that some of us are already naturally pretty knowledge hungry. Um, Tess and I think you know we're probably a bit like that and that's part of why this podcast is so much fun isn't it yes yeah we're very knowledge hungry people Ken and we're lucky to have this platform to to fuel our research Uh, but when it comes to those of us who don't have this tendency there are some things we can do some experts suggest fake it till you make it in a social situation ask open-ended questions not yes and no questions And just try showing interest and asking follow-up questions, which are likely to make the responder go deeper, which will actually lead to a more interesting conversation. So channel Warren Buffett. Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it. Just think of Warren Buffett and the dentist, such a classic. But part of being knowledge hungry is really being open to those new ideas. So we need to reduce our attachment to existing ideas. Be open to having your mind changed. And Grant says that we can do this in two ways. First is to work to detach your present from your past. And this involves a willingness to let go of beliefs that you've held previously, including beliefs about who you are and what that means for your present life. In letting go, you can begin to reshape your identity without losing the narrative that ties your life together. And the second is working towards detaching your opinions from your identity. This involves letting go of the tendency to define yourself by your beliefs ideas and ideologies and if these things are linked too closely with your identity you'll be less open to new information and evidence that may challenge your deeply held beliefs and the politics example is you know such a great one of how identity can become too linked to our beliefs you know you should hopefully be an informed voter not a labor liberal or greens voter and be willing to adapt you know as as issues and policies and the parties adapt yeah, I think I think it's a really strong example too, because whenever a belief or preference is tied to our identity, we're really not open to changing our mind on that belief, are we? And if if you're wondering if that might apply to you, think about how you might describe yourself for a dating website. 
think of a list of dot points that you'd make underneath the statement, um, I am a Greens voter or I'm a flat earther. Or, <laughs> hopefully not too many of those listening. But <laughs> yeah, because I Look, think they're welcome. <laughs> everyone's welcome. It's everyone's a, welcome. <laughs> the broad church here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Ken, what's your key takeaway from today? Look, I think the preacher, prosecutor, politician, scientist categories are, are quite insightful. So I think I need to reflect some more on those. You know, what hat am I wearing in a particular in, engagement with someone else? Um, I also love the story of Warren Buffett and the dentist. I just think it it's quirky and funny, but it's also just a beautiful picture of someone who has a deep hunger for knowledge. And as you said before, you know, how many times do we meet people who could teach us so much, but we just don't have that knowledge hunger switched on? So, yeah, I, that's a big one for me. Great. Now, listener, what's your key takeaway? And maybe teach it to a friend because it'll actually help the knowledge stick. Yeah, we're big advocates for that. And I th I can't emphasize that enough. Having conversations about the things we're learning is just so powerful, isn't it, Tess? Yeah, exactly. It'll help you retain the information so much more if you just listen and, uh, you know, try and remember what you've learned two weeks later. Yeah. So listen, if you've enjoyed this uh, episode and this season so far, then please make sure to subscribe to How to Choose and visit us as well at goodbetterright.com.au. And next episode, we'll be exploring the characteristic of being reflective to aid our decision-making. And that's something that won't be a surprise to our regular listeners as we harp on about reflection all the time. And tell your friends about us too. We'd love to meet them. Sharing what we're learning, as we said, is an awesome way to reinforce those lessons. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>